0: So please continue to be praying for him, and we welcome Alex Hunter to the pulpit today. Yeah. Um, at the Village Church here, uh, we see giving as an act of worship, and so if you are inclined to give uh, to the church here, you can do so online. That uh, The link is enterthevillage.net slash give. You can also mail a check to the Village Church. The address is... Two one zero three Virginia Boulevard Huntsville, three five eight one one. And then, if you're here in person, you can drop uh, your offering in the plate. There's one in the back of the room as you exit the sanctuary. We also continue uh, to have prayer on Wednesdays at seven. You can join that either in person or via Zoom. Uh, so we welcome you to participate in that if you're able. Uh, this is this one is important. Uh, there is a big meeting for village kids and parents of village kids uh, today, right after worship. So, if you're in that category of having kids who are going to participate in the in the village kids program here, please stay for that meeting if at all possible. And then we the deacons are planning a series of a work nights here at the church from five thirty to seven on Thursdays it's throughout the whole month of August for right now. And that is an invitation to to help with facility maintenance and upkeep. There'll be more details to come on that, but basically kids are welcome to come and play on the playground. There'll be food. Um, but the the main purpose is to gather for, for working and, and fellowship at the church. Um, and then lastly we have an enter the village class beginning on september 26th so if you are interested in being becoming a member here at village church or learning more about it that is the class to be a part of again that starts on september 26th they'll be at 9 15 um, so before the service starts and uh, if you if you want to know more about that please contact uh, cynthia enter the, at enter the that's her email Those are all of the announcements Thank you for bearing with me with those Uh, Now let's go to the Lord in prayer Dear Jesus, thank you for this morning And we pray that your will would be done And we submit to your will And acknowledge that uh, we don't know everything Not just that we don't know everything we, We don't even know what should be sometimes And we definitely don't know what's going on in our hearts all the time but I pray, Lord, that you would move and work in our hearts. Prepare us to go forward in worship as part of this service. Uh, prepare us as we will hear the word preached and will sing and hear the word sung. And, and through our liturgy and just everything this morning, that you would be glorified in it and our hearts would be drawn closer to you. Uh, I pray that we as a community would follow you together, not just as isolated silos trying to, to follow you in a lone ranger kind of way, but that we would be a community following you together. And uh we give you the praise, Lord. We give you the glory. It's in your name I pray. Amen.
1: Come, let us adore Him. Oh. of who you are I give you glory because of who you are I give you praise because of who you are I will lift my voice and say Lord I worship you because of who you are Lord I worship you because of who you are Jehovah Jireh my provider Jehovah Nisi Lord you reign in victory Jehovah Shalom my prince of peace And I worship you because of who you are. Amen. Amen. Our Lord is also majestic. And this is a new song, guys. But it will be familiar to some. So join with me.
2: with the earth, and I'll give my praise to you, oh Lord.
1: To glorify you, we were created to sing praises to your name, we were created to shout for joy and to dance before you, and to be um, walking, living testimonies of who you are and, and your love for this world. What a privilege it is to be called your child. What a, what a privilege. Praise be to you, Lord, God, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything and heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks as a worshiping community this morning, as your chosen. We give you thanks and we praise your glorious name. We say, Lord, we love you. We praise you. We adore you. How majestic is your name in all the earth. And there's not another name that is greater than yours. Not another king. Not another president, head of state that sits higher than you as a matter of fact are in control, whether or not those guys are even in place. So be exalted, oh God, in this place today. Be exalted amongst your people. Spirit, we just ask you just to move in a mighty way this morning. And we will be mindful. Help us to be mindful actually, because sometimes we're not. But in this time, Spirit, Give us the mindfulness to see the Father and the Son and you. Help us delight in you today. Help us worship you in spirit and in truth. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Please be seated.
3: Good morning, Village Church. This morning's uh, Confession of Sin passage comes from Romans 6, verse 12. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Please join me in a moment of silent repentance. Repentance. And our assurance of pardon comes from Romans 6, verse 13b. But present yourselves to God as those, as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. The passage for this morning comes from uh, Matthew uh, chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, go into, uh, correction, uh, you go into the vineyard too. And whatever is right, I will give you. So they went, going out again. Uh, I'm sorry. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour. He did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each man received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, uh, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last workers only, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and and scorching heat. But he replied to uh, one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Do you not agree with me, that you not agree with me for denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to the the last worker as I gave to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last.
4: me for my prayer of thanksgiving this morning. Father, we live in a creation that you made. When you looked at it, you said it was good. And as we experience the world in this fallen state, there are many Many days where we feel that it is not good. There are many days when we are treated not good. Lord God, we thank you that you redeem creation. We thank you that you make beautiful things out of the ashes that we have burned. Thank you, God. Father, we thank you for even the simple things that we take for granted every day. Thank you for waking us up this morning and for giving us strength to make it here, to worship together with family, with brothers and sisters. And Father God, we thank you that we are family because of your son Jesus. The, the, the son who, who quells the groanings of creation. The son who gives us grace to be redeemed ourselves in our brokenness. Father God, we thank you that you are good. And we thank you that your son is good. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Man, it's good to be here today, y'all. Y'all just don't know how, like, amazing I feel right now. Like, it, it, it's pretty awesome. Like, y'all, y'all realize this is the church that, that me and my wife met at? Like, he he's here because of y'all, partially. Uh, <laughs> amen. Uh, I just really want to, um, you know, give honor to God this morning because he is so amazing. And I want to give honor to to Pastor Alex and the, 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 the wonderful staff here at the Village Church. Um, it's just a wonderful uh, occasion just to be here to worship with you guys. Um, you all have a, a great pastor and a great staff here who love you all very much. Um, actually, the, the, the day before Pastor Alex went on his sabbatical, we, we we got to have lunch. And y'all know what he talked about, how much he loves y'all. That's what he talked about. Then, pretty much the entire time, um, you have a pastor and a staff and elders who care for you, uh, love them, um, and I feel love just to know that you guys will have me back. Uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful time to, to 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 it's a beautiful homecoming for us. Um, but any excuse that I have to, to be in worship with family is a good excuse. So thank y'all for, for having us this morning. Um, and if y'all have your Bibles, would y'all turn with me um, and track with me in the book of Matthew, chapter 20. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 17. I mean, 1 through 16. And Dennis read this passage for us. And this passage actually reminds me of a story that my dad told me one time. Um it's a story about one day a truck pulling up in, in his neighborhood uh in, in the Mobile Alabama Projects, R. V. Taylor, um and it's a sweltering hot day and this this like slick looking Blue-eyed, sharp-tongued guy gets out when him and a group of his friends are, praying, are playing, and he says, "Hey guys, y'all want to make some money?" And this is the early '70s; things are a little bit different today. But him and his friends say, "Heck yeah, we want to make some money." And so the next thing my dad knows, he and his friends are are on the back of this, or, or in the back of this truck. Uh, on their way, about seven miles away, uh, for an evening of work, um, and the job was to clean a store that was closing, and that that store is now a, a Goodwill thrift store. It's one of my favorites in Mobile, but <laughs> the job was an overnight thing, and the man got them started, and he showed them what they were supposed to do, and they they were you know they started working, and he he got ready to leave, and he says, I'll pay you guys in the morning, and he locked the door. And my dad and his friends worked super hard that night to to, to clean that store. My dad is one of the hardest-working people on the planet, and um, that's where I get my work ethic from. But but he worked uh, super hard that night, and the next morning the man opened the door. He unlocked the door, let them out, and he doesn't pay them, but instead he threatens them, and he makes them walk all the way home after that hard night of work. For all his work, my dad got a seven-mile, two-hour, and 50-minute walk back down uh, Airport Boulevard back to RV Taylor Projects to be right back where he was before. Now, I bring up this story in juxtaposition to our text today, yes. Um, But more than that, my father's story actually helps me to understand a little bit better the question that provoked the parable that we're looking at in the first place. After hearing Jesus offer treasure in heaven to the rich young ruler if he would sell all that he has and follow Jesus. Naturally Peter asks in chapter 19 verse 27 see we have left everything and followed you what then will we have? Peter says that God wasn't willing to put in the work that guy wasn't willing to follow you, but we are. And this question is born out of ambition, a little bit, yeah. Um, and, and this, yes, this, this chapter in this section of 18 through 23, uh, in Matthew chapters 18 through 23, um, Jesus does address ambition about four or five times, depending on if you include. Uh, Peter's question here Uh, to the 12 he says humble yourselves like a child Uh, to the the rich young ruler he says embrace embrace the the blessedness of possessing nothing Um, to James and John in the the next uh, part of chapter 20 he says drink from the cup of love and sacrifice with me if you would be great if you if That's how he addresses their ambition. And in chapter 23, in the context of the Pharisees, in contrast to to their self-righteousness, he says, your brothers and the greatest among you will be your servant. Jesus addresses ambition in this section and in this context. But there's also something else here. Peter's question also hinted at a bit of insecurity. It, it may be that Peter was wondering if this was one of those 2% interest savings accounts that you kind of like put all your money in and you, you get basically no return on it, right? He, he was wondering if this was one of those type of situations where you get out basically what you put in, and in his mind, he may have been saying that the, the ruler was rich, and Jesus did say if he left everything, uh, if he left all his riches, that he would get riches. Peter's insecurity would have been saying to him, I've left everything, but what if my everything wasn't as much as his everything? Uh, and In John system. Uh, He's an old uh, church father. He asked this question in response to Peter. He says, Peter, what is your everything? Blessed Peter. Is it a fishing rod? Your net? Your boat? Your skill? Are you telling me these are the everything? And in a rhetorical reply, he says, yes, Peter says. In reply, I am not saying these things to show off, but in order that my question may embrace the multitudes of the poor. Peter may be asking if he will just get a poor fisherman's reward in the kingdom. He's saying, well, all I'm going to get is a three-year walk in the Middle East heat and then end up back where I started while the rich get rich again in the kingdom because they had more to give, because they had more to give up. Don't we often esteem people that way? Don't we often esteem people who are able to give up great careers and serve in ministry? Or sometimes we might look down a little bit on a little country preacher, you know? We hold that same value system that Peter is talking about here. And and Jesus begins his reply by essentially saying, I'm not just sending you on a walk, Peter. You will sit on thrones as judges and everyone who gives up anything for me will have many times more over in the kingdom. And then he caps off this lesson with a parable. A parable is just a story with a treasure. And this parable has a parallel that that he ends up on. That's the parallel between the first and the last. And Jesus opens up this parable by saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house going uh, going going to get day workers for his vineyard. Obviously, that the master of the house in this context is Jesus, and the vineyard is an image for the the kingdom of God, and the day laborers are some some people. Um, but day laborers in that time they they had about the the least amount of security of anybody in society because. There was no guarantee that they would even eat that day, that uh, they would be able to feed their families that day. And, in fact, slaves had more security because at least they they had some semblance that they would be uh, fed. Uh, This is like, you know, getting work at Staff Zone. My dad often worked at these places like uh, Labor Finders where they would get this, like, day work, and they would get paid either at the end of the day or at the end of the week. And for for a lot of years, he did oil refinery work that way, and, and, you know, he took care of his family. But it didn't come with a whole lot of security because there would be months at a time where he wouldn't get work, right? Um, And the master goes out, and he hires three sets of day laborers. One early, presumably around sunrise, 6 a.m., he hires the first set. Probably all of those he actually needed that day, and he agrees on a wage with them, uh, and they go out and work. The third, at the third hour, probably about 9 a.m. in the Jewish workday time, he hires another uh, group of workers, and. He doesn't agree on a price with them, but they agree, trusting solely on the goodness of the guy who was giving them the work. And they go to work, knowing that that he will pay you whatever is right. And he does this one more time at the 11th hour. That's around 5 p.m. Most of us are getting off work at 5 p.m., but... Uh, that's that's about an hour before this day ends, and the, these last don't even agree to get paid. He says go into the field, and they just go. Maybe we can help somebody or something like that. Um, and they 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 go out, and at the end of the day, he lines up the ones. He got, who got their last and those who got their second, that second group, and those who got their first in that order. And he pays the last group what he agreed to pay the first group, a denarius. Now, a denarius was, was pretty much only enough to feed your family for one day. And he pays them enough, this last group, those people who only worked an hour, enough to take care of their families for a day. And then the group who trusted in his goodness, he pays them enough to take care of their family for a day. And now at this point, the the guys who got there first are like, man, we finna get thrown all the way up, right? We about to get some bread here. And they get up front and they get enough to take care of their family for the day. I love you, son. (laughs) But they end up complaining about it, right? Um, They complain that they have given so much, that they have, have borne the work, and the others got taken care of just like they did. The master replies, friend. I agreed to take care of you and you agreed on that same price. I've done you no wrong. Is your eye evil because I am good? Is your eye evil because I'm good to all of you equally? The last will be first and the first will be last. There are are two phrases that are important to pay attention to in this passage. The first one is, you have made them equal with us. Uh, What I want to say about this is that we are all day laborers, begging for a job. Some get more general grace at the start. They get hired first. They uh yeah, I'm sorry. (laughs) And what these first with that first group missed is that it was actually a grace for them to be able to be a part of the master's work and what he was doing while the others stood there all day with their tools in hand, ready to go to work, with their hopes crushing slowly, not knowing if their families would eat. Others get a little less grace to begin with. And looking at this passage, I've heard so many people end up saying things like grace or favor ain't fair. And messages like those make me cringe just a little bit. But what it means here that the last will be first and that the first. Will be last is that we're all on the same level. Is that we're all the same. And there's no partiality with God. We are all just poor beggars in need of grace and mercy. We are all fallen creation in need of redemption. The church father, Cyril of Alexandria, he saw in this passage uh, a little bit of a history of revelation. To him, the day, the work day, was the whole age of redemption. After the fall, Adam and Eve sinning, choosing to define good and evil for themselves, early he calls Israel to know him and his blessing. And he says to Israel, I will be your God and you will be my people. In the third hour, he says to the apostles and to the Jewish church, you will sit with me in the kingdom of heaven on thrones. You are, you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. And at the 11th hour, he provides a blessing for all the families of the earth. And he sends us, Gentiles, Jews, Greeks, everybody into the kingdom to work, to receive his goodness. and And... That's all fine, well, and good that, that we get this, this beautiful uh redemption. But I think the the, the the part that we we miss oftentimes when we look at this passage is his goodness. I, and I think the true point of this passage is about God. And the next statement that I want to bring out uh And sometimes we can pay more attention to the gift than to the giver. But the next statement is, do you begrudge my generosity? Generosity, sorry. And literally, this statement is, is your eye evil because I am good? And it's Israel. Is it brother who I've called? Is your heart evil because I am good? This is the real answer to Peter's question. The real answer to his insecurity. Jesus is saying, The kingdom of heaven is like you are creation in need of redemption. And I set my plan in motion. I call you and I take care of you the same because I am good. And you are self interested and don't know me like you should, but I'm still good. And I provide redemption. Without regard for ethnicity, economics, value systems, I am an equal opportunity employer. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. And I I love the way that Matthew builds up to this in his book. He uses these parallels all the way through, and he organizes his gospel to create these beautiful juxtapositions that kind of illustrate that, that God doesn't really care about certain things. And he says, uh, he points out, like, with the wise men. He puts them right next to them and their riches and their royalty right next to, right next to the poverty uh, of, uh, of, of, not enemy, of uh, Mary and Joseph. And right next to the spiritual poverty of Herod. And, and then he, he goes on to, to talk about the mighty centurion. And the weak leper, right next to each other, and Jesus is good to them both, just the same. And then he he talks about the stupid scribes, and he calls this tax collector named Matthew. And he 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 he, he answers questions about the sick and the well, and how the, the kingdom of heaven is a hospital for them. He he, he talks about a ruler in the the Jewish community, and a woman with a discharge. Israel and Gentiles, and so on, until we come to the rich young ruler and working class Peter. The parallel that, that Jesus presents is that the first will be last, and the last will be first. But, is, but this is, but yeah, oh yeah, but, this really means that he's communicating an even bigger truth. Jesus is answering Peter's question in a way that drives home the point that he has been trying to make to everybody since he touched down on earth. And that point is, I'm good, and you can trust me. And that's the same Thing that the, the rich young ruler can't get. He recognizes that that uh that both of them have fallen into an error. Peter and the ruler have both don't get that God is good. The ruler didn't get that Jesus good is, is good enough because he's God. He didn't get that Jesus' goodness is enough to follow. And he missed. That Jesus is God. And Peter knows that he's God, but he has insecurity about exactly how good he is. And both are victims of what I call broken mirror syndrome. The people and the world around us are meant to show us something of God's goodness and greatness, they're meant to give us an image of, of how awesome he is in, in some small way. But the problem is, is our world is falling. And I don't condone any error of, of about labeling or about mislabeling God's uh, character. But given our fallen situation, I can understand where Peter and the rich young ruler were. Because we are creatures who like to put things into schemes. And we like to put things into these neat little categories that we can go back to and say, I got it figured out. Most often we do this with, with, with other people. Uh, we, we look at teenagers and say, all of them are like teenage grew in the Marvel movies, right? We look at uh, women, and we say all women are wonderful and always right. There you go, honey. Um, or all men are this, or all gamers, or all engineers. We turn people into archetypes, these typical examples. And in our attempts to make sense of things, we put things into these neat little boxes. But we recognize about ourselves, though, that we are complex and nuanced and that we can't fit into these schemes ourselves, right? We understand that that we uh, have... Uh, idiosyncrasies about ourselves that are beautiful. And we feel a disconnect when people put us in boxes because we know that they don't understand us. But the remedy for that is relationships with people. Um, When we fashion these mental narratives and images of people and things uh, that, that aren't close to the reality, we can break through those things by doing life together, by knowing deeply one another. But the problem comes when we do that to God. Scripture tells us that God is completely other than us. He's holy and set apart. But because of the way that we all make these images in our minds, often when it comes to God, we create a a straw man archetype based on, on our preconceived notions and the the, the broken mirror messages that we get from our world because our pictures of God are broken. So our box that we put them in is broken. We say things like, Dad was abusive and he should have been taking care of us. So God's fatherhood must be like this. This person unfairly judged me. So I must so God must be like that. I was abandoned by those who should have loved me. So God must be like that. To paraphrase what John Calvin said, he said that our category making machines are broken. He says our hearts are idol factories. And that's what happens when we make an archetype of God. We end up making an idol. But the beautiful thing about God in relationship to his fallen creation is that His uh, the, the darkness of this world does not taint his light. But he brings light and in, in life into this world. And Jesus says, know me. Don't put me into your boxes because I'm not bad just because you are evil. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Saints, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. The big God point in this passage should install trust. And it should quiet our insecurities about God. And the big God point in this passage is that God is good. My people who have been in church for a while, when I say God is good, you say. And when I say all the time, you say. Now, the the, the patriarch, uh, uh, now, uh, sorry, this Puritan clergyman named Thomas Merton described God's goodness this way. He said, the goodness of God endureth continually. The goodness of God refers to The perfection of his nature. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. There is such an absolute perfection in God's nature and being that nothing is wanting to it or defective in it. And nothing can be added to it or or, or make it better. He is originally good. Good in and of himself himself. Which nothing else is for all creatures, oh, yeah, yeah, for all creatures are good only by association with his perfection, he is essentially good, not only good but goodness itself the the creature's goodness is. ...a super-added quality. In God, it is his essence. He is infinitely good. The The creature's goodness is a drop. But in God, there is an infinite ocean... ...or gathering together of good. He is eternally good, immutably good... ...for he cannot be less good than he is... ...as there can be no addition... Made to him, so no subtraction can be made from him. I want to address the goodness of God because often we can affirm the proposition God is good. We can say the words in public while we're sitting in church, while in private and in our functional lives, believing and acting as if. We are not quite sure that he's that kind of good. We either misdefine goodness, good as as whatever serves our immediate pleasure, like the rich young ruler. Or we affirm rightly the proposition, but struggle to truly believe it is true. And to live out its implications, like Peter. Jesus doesn't just say I'm good, though. It's the beautiful thing. He backs it up with grace and mercy rooted in love. In verse 17 through 19, Jesus says uh, of chapter 20, Jesus says, it says, and Jesus was going to Jerusalem. He took the 12 disciples aside and on their way, he said to them, see, we are going to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised from the dead on the third day. Saints, Jesus displays his goodness in that God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish But have everlasting life. And the last will be first. And the first will be last. Because Jesus is good. But do you believe it? Let us pray. Gracious Father, we thank you that when we are unfaithful, you are faithful. Lord, when we are self-interested, you are selfless. Lord, when our world is broken and dark, you make us whole and allow us to walk in your light. Father, we thank you that you are good. And Lord, I pray that as we walk with you, as we go out and work in your vineyard, that you would enable us by your grace to entrust ourselves to your goodness, to allow your goodness to quell our anxieties, Lord, to allow your goodness to free us from our idols so that we can fully lean on you with everything that we have. Father, bless us as we go from here. Lord, bless us to experience your goodness while we are walking in the land of the living. Lord, we know that you are a good God. Yes, you are. In Christ's name I pray.
2: Amen.
4: Everybody rise for the benediction, please. Now, unto the good God who was able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, power, glory, honor, dominion, and power, both now and forever. Amen.